0: And others, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So, if you were thinking of starting your own podcast, you want to download the Anchor app or go to Anchor.fm to get started. How we doing? This is Rob Foster with RBF Fitness and Nutrition. Public speaking is the number one fear in the world. I started a business during the recession in 2009 here in the U.S. People upgrade their iPhones, they upgrade their Androids, they upgrade their laptops, but they're operating with the same brain that they operated with for the last decade. You should know the value that you bring to the marketplace. You know what your passion is. You know why you do what you do. So racism, it's out there, but it doesn't have to stop you. Just because somebody might look at you a certain way, that doesn't have to stop your forward progress. I mentor people with master's degrees, with PhDs, and I help people who have been in business for a long time. I have deal with, with the nutrition store maybe a half mile away from my facility. And we, we cross promote, you know, we help out to give our clients what they need. That's where, where you have to eliminate the excuses. You gotta make that game plan and say, for, for me to get to that point. Happy Sunday, everyone. This is. Rob Foster with Shut Up and Grind, episode number 46 kicks off on Valentine's Day. So as you're out there, spreading the love to those closest to you. Don't forget to spread the love to yourself. All right, spread the love to yourself. Because self-love is everything. And too much, too many times we're focused on everyone else that we're forgetting about ourselves. So just remember you matter too. So give give yourself that same level of love. All right. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about telling your personal stories because people can talk about other people's stories. People can talk about movies they watch. People can talk about other people's drama. But when it comes to speaking about yourself, that's where people need work. And as you all know, I just recently created a program called Speak About Yourself Out Loud, where I teach you exactly how to do that, how to take the good, the bad, and the ugly that is hiding in the depths of your soul and package them together to change other people's lives. So no matter what you're dealing with inside, whether it's hurt, whether it's anger, whether it's it's resentment, no matter what it is, we can teach you how to package that and change your own life, because that weight will lift from you, but to help change other people's lives who may be going through something similar. And to help me have this discussion today, I found someone who also helps people tell the stories of their life. Let me get the live feed up here. That's why I keep looking down. Your personal stories. No, we forget stuff every now and then, but that's okay, we're all human. All right. So now coming to help me have this conversation. She has a master's degree in creative writing. She's a lifelong writer. She's a writing coach. She's a facilitator of the law of attraction. And as I said, she's a storytelling coach. So please welcome to the show, Tina
1: DeMarco. (laughs) Welcome. Oh, thank you. (laughs) That was quite an introduction. I really appreciate it. Thank you, thank you.
0: Yeah, people That's people awesome. get people get a kick out of my my intros.
1: <laughs> Your intros awesome. I've never been introduced like that, and already it's giving me a sense of of um, power, a sense of individual power, individual um, pride. You know? Yes. Um, yeah.
0: Exactly. Yes. And and as you know, being being a storytelling coach. So many times we do amazing things as just human beings, but to us it's day to day and we don't realize how amazing it actually is. So when you hear somebody, sorry, when you hear somebody else introduce you, it's like, wow, I'm, I'm kind of awesome.
1: Yeah. And then the other part of it is, who's that girl? <laughs> you know, going back to that old Marlo uh Thomas. I know I'm dating myself, but that Marlo Thomas um TV series, Who's That Girl? It's like, yeah, that can't be me. I mean, I'm this little girl who is who's going out trick-or-treating for Halloween, or who, who's, who's um signing my name to all of these little <laughs> Valentine's cards to distribute them to everybody in my in my uh, my third grade um grammar school class, yes. you know so that's that's another person uh, another part of who I am. It's like we're we're just this myriad of um of of um, combinations of of entities, you know and um we pick and choose who we want to be from a day-to- day you know level uh, depending upon if it's good hair day, you know, for those of us that are conscientious about that, whether we have That's makeup not on. That's not <laughs> <No>. <laughs> as soon as I said that, it was like, whoops. I'm having a good bald <laughs> head day today. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, I mean, even with this pandemic, you know, I spend my days in sweats and in gym clothes. It's like I went to uh, the post office and I got dressed up. I put makeup on. I, I wore some jewelry, you know, I mean, it's the lit. And yet all of those things matter. They yeah. all matter. They all say to the world, "This is who I am."
0: Yes, being your authentic self is what matters. Yes. Which is which is yes. why I do my shows in a tank top because I wear, I have, I can't tell you how <laughs> I probably have about twenty of these. It's like that's <laughs> just, that's me. That's who I am. That's how I dress. I mean, I own a gym, so
1: yeah, yeah. Well, you also get to show it. your muscles off too. You know, so. that's
0: an added benefit. But, but <laughs> honestly, I do it because my, my body is constantly. This is warm. who you are. So yeah. Well, that and and I sweat a lot, so so like that's that's why if, if I was up here in a shirt and tie, yeah. by the end of the hour, I'd have little wet wet stains all over. So, so
1: yeah, I, know. Part I
0: is, is I get to let myself breathe. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, funny. All right, so tell us a little bit about your uh, backstory. So, like, where where are you from? Where did you grow up?
1: Okay, so I live in Connecticut. Uh, oh, in Fairfield. where? I live in Fairfield County. Oh, okay, I'm right right up right next to you in Rhode Island. I, I know, I know I have yeah. a nephew who lives in Rhode Island. I have two nephews who live in Rhode Island as a oh, matter God. of fact. You might I don't you might know one of them. You might know both of them. One campaigned for um, um Harris. The oh, okay. other one is the complete opposite. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's typically the case. <laughs> I know I, I know, I know. but anyway, so I'm I'm a lifelong resident of Connecticut okay. and I like it. Um, I did live a, a couple of years on and off in Florida and, uh, I did not like Florida. It's too hot. It's too humid, you know, it's just Mm -hmm. too everything. Um, but it was an interesting, you know, an interesting time in my life. I was a lot younger. Um, Connecticut for me has an awful lot to offer and, um, You know, so I chose I choose to stay. I mean, I have one kid, one son and his family lives in Maine and and another one lives in Michigan. And my last one lives right here nearby in Stratford, which is, you know, um, uh, not too far from me. So it works. I I get to fly. I get to drive, you know. (laughs) But um, anyway, so, yeah, I, I like Connecticut. I I. Wouldn't want to go anywhere else. I don't. I don't think anyway. I've been around, you know, the country, but yeah. nice. That's yeah, about I it. Lived
0: I lived in. Um, I lived in Oakdale, Connecticut. Like, okay. Like, yeah. Like, by Waterford, I yeah. lived there, and I lived in Jewett City in the Griswold area.
1: Oh, okay. So I know. I know both. I don't know Jewett City, but I know the Griswold area. Um, I I drive up to Rocky Hill um oh, yeah. where i go past you know i go i go past um um your wallingford etc and um and that's an interesting drive and then i hit 91 and you know it all goes to hell in a handbasket <laughs> <laughs> especially on the way home at 30 at night or something like that yep. but uh, yeah it's um it it I, where i live i have access to all of the major highways in the state and i still live in the suburban area nice um So I used to, I grew up in an old uh, colonial, you know, we had like three acres worth of worth of uh, land and we had horses and chickens and ducks and we had a bull that my father Yeah, well, he became, he became, you know, a lot of steak dinners and, (laughs) um, you know, we we had a lot of different animals growing up. So it, it was definitely interesting. Right now I have a dog and a cat.
0: Nice. So mine's actually similar, believe, believe it or not. My parents had, had about maybe, I don't know, one and a half eight acres of land, What yeah. one, 1. 1.8, somewhere around there. I know it's under two, but yeah. we, we had 48 chickens. We had four, four pigs. We had oh, a wow. bunch, yeah. bunch, bunch of cats, couple of dogs. Uh-huh. So, yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, I did, too. I mean, the most I had were three cats and three dogs, and I loved Every one of them, you know, it was just, it's just an interesting way to live, you know, because you get, you get to give love to something other than yourself. And, and, you know, small animals or animals themselves are really appreciative in their way, they might not be able to talk back to you, but they can show their, you know, their love. I've got this little dog who um he doesn't really show his love all that much he he Mm -hmm. he demands you know it's like if i let him out he expects a treat and that's all there is to it Mm -hmm. and when he doesn't like something he hides under his blanket (laughs) he hides under his blanket all the time and so this past winter that's basically what i've been doing i've been posting um photos of my dog beans under his blanket and I mean, that's pretty, <laughs> pathetic. <laughs> that's, kind of that's how small my life has gotten, but wow. I think everybody has gotten that, you know, that, that way too. So, you know, I, I don't, I definitely don't feel alone. How has the, uh,
0: pandemic affected you at all?
1: Um, well, I, I didn't realize it, but I did go through periods of, of, um, I'm going to say depression, but I didn't, I, I didn't know it at the time, just feeling small, you know, I wasn't going out and I still don't go out all that often at this point. I got my first shot yesterday. So in about another month, um, I'll be a lot more mobile, you know, uh, but I, I, I stopped going to the gym and I've gained some weight. Like if most other people have, I take my dog out for a walk, depending upon the weather um, it's just been really small. I don't get to see very many people. I see my little granddaughter who turns one years old tomorrow. Oh, wow. And I see her from um, from my son's uh, enclosed porch. There's this window where her play area is. And we interact that way. We do high fives, you know, mm-hmm. with the little kid and such, such, <laughs> and such. And I mean, we're protecting her, you know, from yeah. COVID, et cetera. And they're protecting themselves etc. So um, in a couple of weeks, I'll be able to go into the house, etc. with them. And that'll be fun. But I haven't seen my other, I have another one year old granddaughter in Michigan. And I saw her once when she was a baby. And it was before the pandemic, you know, had really caught fire. I think it was like in maybe April um, of last year, just when it was starting to build steam. And and I haven't seen her yet. I, I spend a lot of time on Zoom, a lot of time on Face uh, FaceTime with you know with my granddaughters and with my kids. Um, my ears hurt after a while from you know having my little my little um, earbuds in, and uh, I mean it's just a different way to live. So I think most most of what we need is to be able to be flexible and to adapt, because otherwise if we don't we stay stuck in either an era or a mental or emotional time frame that um gets harder and harder to break out of and um and this is where you know I'm segueing right into what I do but this is where <laughs> being a writing coach comes into play because um through the different things that I do um I help people break through those those roadblocks or those um ingrained habit patterns that we all have you know we just we rethink the same things over and over again even if it's 10 years old or, or, or 50 years old you know however long it is we just keep we keep doing what we do and uh the things that i've been learning and the things that i've um I've uh, acquired as far as tools I use to help people break through those patterns. And surprisingly, they're uh, very interesting patterns, you know, which uh, totally, uh, totally amazes me. And every time I work with someone, whether it's uh, an ingrained pattern or something that they're, they're stuck with when it comes to writing out, um, A moment, a story in their lives, uh, and and they can't go forward, and they don't understand why. There's resistance of some kind. Uh, Through the tools that I've learned to use, I can help them get right to right to the bottom of it. And it amazes me every single time that happens. And it's true. It's it's something you can you know just clock. You can take it right to the bank with you. And I watch my clients, or I watch um, people that I have. Um, gift calls, practice sessions with uh, change, you know, they light right up after a while. And it's, it's just amazing, you know? Um, and and that, that keeps me going because it's like, yes, you know, we all have a purpose, we all matter, we all have a voice, we, we, we um, got our voices, you know, we acquired our voices the minute we were born and how we use them or don't use them um, depends upon the environments and the um, um, the the moments, you know, that we have within our lives.
0: Well, that you know, I want to expand on that that for a second because sure. you you said you said a key key sentence there, or I guess it's a phrase. You matter. Yeah, matter because like as I'm working with with people is people I constantly hear oh who wants to hear from from me like nobody cares about about my story I'm like you'll be surprised There's seven billion people on this planet <laughs> I was just your, gonna say uh, that right it's like your story yes. is gonna resonate with someone right <laughs>
2: it's it's gonna,
0: exactly yes, exactly like, I'm working I'm working with my sister she had a brain aneurysm burst in 2016 and so it's 2021 now. So she's still with us, you know, 20%, yeah, yeah. only 20% of people survive what she went through.
1: So mine that... did. Not. Oh, really? M- mine wow. did not. Yeah. So I, I, I totally applaud, um, congratulate your sister and wish, you know, you all the best of luck. Thank you. The best of health. Yeah. See? And, and, and that's a
0: big reason why I want her to tell her story. Cause right now she's still, she's still angry.
3: Like she's still angry. That were telling me what the right thing was and that led me to start really diving into the definition and reaching out to this intuitive channeler to really find okay what is it and if i can find a definition then there's got to be a definition for others because i couldn't find one online that was common yeah and so when i when i sat down with her she talked about the signals and what she was talking about was that there was there was like no research in it and our belief system uh is just not there and it was energetic in nature and so now having an energetic property really kind of resonated with me because back in engineering, I remember like things like steel has a mass and it has wave, like, or energetic, like, like properties. So that kind of resonated with me, but then she was saying, well, how come, like she says, the research just hasn't caught caught up. And I'm thinking like, why? Uh, I mean, this, if this is happening to me, it's gotta be happening to others. And so I thought, okay, who else do I know that can maybe shed some light on, on some research? And so I had this neuroscientist, Dr. Michelle Rathbone, who was also in my, in my circle of contacts. And I said, uh, you know, I'd like to interview you. Um, would you mind doing an interview? And he said, sure. And so we, I go to the hospital that he's working at. And, I, and I'm, not, I'm not expecting much because I'm just trying to get his, yeah, maybe there's some research, something like that, uh, you know, just to give me some opportunity to see, okay, where can I point to? Um, so I turn on the camera, I ask him, does intuition exist? And the first thing he says, it absolutely exists. Uh, in fact, he uses it for his patients. He goes into a scientific explanation of how the neurons go to the gut. Um, and the other thing he was saying is, is more and more neuroscience research is showing that intuition happens a lot earlier than we are consciously aware of it. And so I'm going away saying, wow, I'm blown away by this interview. Mm -hmm. Now, where do I find the research? And so I go to an academic database and I start typing intuition, I hit enter, not knowing what to expect. And thousands and thousands of articles on intuition. And let me bring us some of the key pieces that really, really resonated with me. One was that your intuition hits what we call the amygdala. The amygdala is the primitive part of your brain. It All it knows is fight or flight. All it knows is single things. Uh, think, trust, do, go. That's it. And in fact, there's no language around it. And so now, there's that's why I couldn't find a definition is because if intuition hits the primitive part of our brain, we all put our own unique spin to it. We all put our own language to it. Yeah, We do. Right. And so we can talk about the same thing. People talk about gut feeling, hearing the voice, uh, and I'll talk about some really unique ones coming up here, but, um, that's why we all have that, that thing called intuition that we feel our way through life, but we all want to describe it in our own way, which is perfect. And that's why this, this voices from God and all that stuff, I respect those definitions, but they weren't ones that I embraced. Yeah. So that was one. Then with me having thinking that in, you were kind of born with intuition, there was research that showed that infants as young as two months old had shown intuitive capabilities. It was, it was this paper called it Intuitive Physics. Okay.
0: can I share something real real quick?
3: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: In my in my speeches, I start with a slide and that the slide says every child born will naturally become who they were meant to be. Yes. If they don't get interference from other
3: people. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Bang on bang on and the problem is uh, we start getting interfered with by societal norms by people's whose intentions aren't there we, we don't filter our relationships
0: start from parents, parents. Yes. Yes. if the parents don't have I don't want to say the right belief system because people can believe what they want to believe but yeah but like if, if they're from a, a place of scarcity that child's mm-hmm. going to grow up in a place of scarcity. Yeah.
3: And a lot of times they're doing it for safety. I'm sure my dad was following sort of the East Indian Kool-Aid and the, and the, and the, the safety part of it. And I, yeah. I kind of respect that. But he never once asked what I wanted. Yeah. Uh, you know, nobody really goes to and, and for me, at least my kids are lucky that I guess I'm not sure it's lucky, but because I talk about intuition all the time, yeah. uh, they kind of grow up knowing these signals and what do they want and not to bend to other people's wants and even ours, we yeah. can give suggestions to them, but ultimately, they lead their own path. Yes. And so they're lucky, I guess, in that if you're if you're kind of comparing them to the norm. Mm-hmm. then they're different. And so if you look at the, the paintings behind me, uh, so that's my daughter. She, so she's 14. She's, she's a, uh, an artist. Uh, and so she actually runs a federal Canadian nonprofit business. Nice. She's raised over $30,000 in about a year and a half, all because her purpose is to help those with disabilities and illnesses. But that's driven by her intuition, her yeah. intuition to help those with disabilities express themselves through art. That's the purpose driven by her intuition, and 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 she's doing much better than some entrepreneurs already at at you know twelve or thirteen, and now she's fourteen, uh, and then she came up with a care care package. She says, "Dad, there's a pandemic. Let's do a care package." It's like, "Okay, yeah, that's a great idea." So that's, awesome. that's what happens when you give these your kids these tools to really kind of be creative and be themselves, and they can change the world. They can, or yeah, they can just change one person's that. life, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, because too many times I I see it. You know, kids have talent, they have abilities, and yeah. they get they get stuffed into a box. Yeah, absolutely. You know? It's like let them let them blossom.
3: Absolutely, uh, and and so it, so now I've got this this research. I've got the amygdala. I've got this primitive part of the brain. Um, and then the other thing that Dr. Rathbone was saying was that uh, it's it happens much earlier than we're consciously aware of it. And so there was this research that was done, and these are all like brain scans and things like that as well. Research showed that your intuition actually acts seven to ten seconds on average before you actually take a decision or, or, or take an action Mm. seven to 10 seconds. Your intuition already knows what decision is. It's just within those seven or 10 seconds, we screw it up. Right? So Um. (laughs) now we have, I've got the art and I've got the science and now I have a definition that makes sense to me. Yes. So now I'm thinking, okay, let's take a look at these signals. And so one of the characteristics of these signals is that they're both positive and negative. And so if you look at positive signals, positive signals are the ones that tell you what the right decision is to make. So that voice that I had in my head. Um, and so other signals that I have are like the dots connecting, a sense of flow. And I've even had one CEO. Uh, he's now moved on to another. Uh, it's a sort of a, an online clothing uh, thing. But he sees this omen that comes up on his right shoulder. No shape, no color. But whatever he's doing, if he's hiring someone, if he's bringing in a partner or working with a vendor and this omen pops up, then he, he just says yes to whatever's happening. That's his positive signal. I have a singer-songwriter that sees an orb, an actual floating orb. So again, specific experiences, specific signals, our own definitions. So this is where it's really, really unique. Um, and then there's also negative signals. And so the thing with negative signals is that it actually, they actually start very subtle in nature. And these are the ones that we miss. So if you listen to Oprah, she calls it a whisper. And it's these whispers that we miss, because they're very very subtle, because we're not in tune with our intuition. And if if you miss these small whispers, or these subtle signals, they start to get louder and louder, and they change until it's tapping you on the shoulder to say, hey, listen, you better listen to me. And I've even had people I've interviewed, have gotten into car crashes, or at that point, they're about to k- take their own lives, or it, it gets that severe, or just Pounding migraines, uh, but it all started with a whisper, and they are able to track back to that first decision that they missed, uh, which actually morphed into like migraine headaches or something. Yeah. So, uh, and and then for me, so these negative signals are you know sort of the the the, the hairs on my my back, then uh, the neck st- standing up a bit. Um, you know, I do get that gut feeling which is negative or resistance, uh, and I had this one CEO that I was a, he was an entrepreneur I was interviewing. And he didn't know what his signals were. He says, Sunil, I'm not sure. Like I've never nobody's ever asked me that. But every time we talked about the ventures that he got into for the wrong reasons, either for the money or it was a waste of time, as he's telling the story, he kept grabbing his ear, left earlobe. Mm. And about 10 minutes later, he just says, Sunil, I just realized one of my negative signals is a le- my left earlobe getting hot and he re- now recognizes that when he went into those ventures he couldn't figure out why why his left earlobe was getting hot all the time and he's thinking I got to go to the doctor and now he also remembers when he's talking to his wife that about those ventures his left earlobe gets hot so that's how specific these things c- can get and so and, and this is where we have to uh, to when we have these signals the way that I look at uh, how intuition uh, really operates it's like driving a car So uh, when you drive a car, you turn it on, and then you hear the engine whir, and those are the signals that are telling you uh, whether the engine's good or bad, and then you just drive. You don't necessarily need to pop open the hood to figure out how complex is it. Uh, Now, I'm the nerd that that decided to do that, and so I popped the hood on this thing called intuition, and I wanted to really figure out, okay, what actually is it? And it turns out that there's actually four types of intuition that work all at the same time in a split second. And then they communicate to you through these positive and negative signals to tell you what the right decision is. And the best way I can characterize this is with a case study from a non-believer. So one of my friends, uh, this is at the early days of intuitionology. He, uh, I, I, uh, now, this is an investment banker. So when I'm telling, asking him about intuition, he's like, Sunil, intuition, Like, what are you talking about? Because remember, at the time, it was voices from God, uh, manifestation, meditation. And so f- to somebody who's, who's deep in data and experience and spreadsheets, that's a definition that he's not going to embrace. So yeah. he says, I don't know what we're going to talk about here, but come on down. We'll talk about intuition for about five minutes, I think. And then let's just catch up for the rest of the hour. So I go down, I flip the camera on and I tell him about the CEO that sees omens. And he says, I really wish I'd like to shake his hand. Uh, and he, he sits back in his chair and says, Sunil, like intuition is not it. like, I, I mean, business decision or decisions in life are kind of based on experience and learning. And I said, well, John, his name is John Rothschild. One of the four types, and now we're going to start getting to four types of intuition. One of the four types is called experiential intuition. And what experiential intuition does is that when you're born, remember, your neurons are firing, getting all these experiences around you and soaking them up in the subconscious area of your brain. So if you look at your brain like an iceberg, 90 percent is below water. Ten percent is above water. So these experiences are coming in both learning uh, from college or university or just taking a course or informal street smarts, your experience in jobs or running businesses, both good and bad. Uh, And your experiences and others consistently putting all these experiences in. So when your intuition is giving you a signal of what to do, it's already telling you that you have the raw skills to actually move in that direction. And so and in some cases, experience your experience, your your experiential intuition will have you go against the data. And John says, well, actually, I have an example of that. And I said, well, tell me about that. And so this is, so John was in the business of putting franchise locations. So typically when you put a, a McDonald's or a Wendy's or one of these franchise locations, in John's case, they, his company used a benchmarking system. So basically a nine out of 10, when they look at traffic patterns, uh, demographics, and development in that area, a nine out of 10 means a, a franchise location can go. And now we're going to get into the second of the four called situational intuition. And this is where they go to a dilapidated area of Toronto. Where it was just rundown, they wanted to put this this franchise location that was a five and a half out of ten, not even close. And he goes there with his partner, and he goes, this, "You know what? I feel I feel like we should be putting the franchise here." And they did, and, my, and the team was upset, of course. But that franchise location, that franchise brand called the Beer Market, ended up being one of the most profitable under his whole portfolio of franchise operations wow. uh, all because of situational intuition. And now he's also now starting to use the language of perhaps it was intuition. I'm not sure. Perhaps. So now he's, this is half an hour in. He's kind of getting it. We start talking about more about higher using intuition to hire team members, to hire partners and some of the decisions that he made. Uh, and then um, his purpose changed. And this is where it's really, really important for people to understand as, a, as an investment banker, he, wanted, he was always on the sidelines, not running a business, but watching and, and investing in business. There came a point, he had an intuitive moment, as I call it, that he said, I, need, I want to be a coach. This is, I'm quoting from him. I want to be running a business. And so his purpose completely changed. And so now we're going to get to the third of the four called relational intuition. Relational intuition filters those relationships to get you to pay attention to only those people that really support your purpose in life. So all the people in his life that were concerned about money, security, fame, high-end restaurants, private jets, limousines, three to $4 million a year, all what John was involved in before said he's nuts, but not one of them asked him, why do you want to do this, right? And the one person that believed in his purpose was his wife, and so his relational intu- intuition stripped everybody's uh voices aside, and he turns to his wife. And I'm quoting him now. He says, Looks his straighter in the eyes and says, This just feels right. There's your intuitive signal. Yep. From a non-believer to now talking an in intuitive signal, and now he's embracing intuition. He says, Intuition led me to do this decision. And so now you would think that if he's going to run a business, his intuition would pick a business with strong revenues, fantastic cash flows, and a healthy balance sheet. Not his intuition. He, his intuition picked a tiny bankrupt little restaurant. And the only person that believed him was his wife. And now we're getting into the fourth, which is called creative intuition. Creative intuition uses all the other three and actually makes the decision for you. So if you have a decision that's mundane, like what am I going to eat? I'm going to turn left here. Your creative intuition is low. But when you make a a, a decision that goes against what a lot of people are thinking and they think you're nuts, Mm -hmm. your creative intuition is high. So everybody thought he was nuts except for his wife, but he made the decision. He quit his three to $4 million a year job, walked into that tiny bankrupt little restaurant. That restaurant ended up being Eastside Mario's location number one. Okay. And that he turned that into over a thousand locations. And in the twenty years before he retired, he, that was two billion dollars wow. in revenues. All because it felt right. Felt right. right. <laughs> That's the power That's of amazing. intuition.
0: That's amazing. I, I want to expand on the relational one. Yep. Because I feel that a lot of people get their wings clipped right there. Yep. Where they'll feel something. And then they let the outside forces kind of take it away from them. So I see that you that you created a seven step process. Like I have one yep. too. I don't know if there's some magic in the number seven, but there's a lot of seven step processes out there. Yep. But the fourth step in mine is assessing your support system. Actually, it's the fifth step, It's assessing your support system. And I, I get pretty I get pretty stern with it because yeah. like I dealt with it with it myself. When I was first making the jump from managing, managing restaurants to going into the fitness business, you know, becoming an entrepreneur, because, again, everyone's like, how are you going to do it without a degree? You don't really have savings. You know, how are you going to get a loan? Like and just all these other questions. And I was like, listen, I found something I'm good at and I like it. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm not stressed out doing it. I said I'm gonna figure it out. And same thing, people are like you got to think about the kids. You got to think about this and that. And I was like, no. Nope. Said, listen, I have a group of people right now that believe in what I'm doing. Yep. And that's all it. That's all it takes. It's like if you guys can't support that, then we just don't talk about it. Yeah. You know, plain yeah. and simple. I was like, I love you to death, but when I'm doing this, back off. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Absolutely. Back off. And then it was able to come come to fruition. Had I given in, I'd still be managing restaurants and miserable.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And 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 so you're alluding to my seven day challenge. And so in the seven day challenge, which is free by the way, and anybody got to go to, uh, to intuitionchallenge or actually Robert, I'll give you a, a link just for your uh, for your listeners uh, and those watching. Uh, but in the seven day challenge, one of the, the and it's a very specific step that I have people go through. And the first step is obviously you. This is where you you identify a problem that you want to solve. That you've tried in the past and hasn't worked Uh, and then the first step you do is you identify that problem and then what does solving this problem mean to you like what what do you shed what are you going to gain why is it so important for you and list as many of those important things as you can once you've got that i actually measure your intuition from a percentage perspective at the start of the seven day challenge before you even go in and so you get a percentage baseline of where your intuition is from a strength perspective then the first the next thing i get you to do is look at what didn't work in the past. This is very important. You spend time uh, making sure that you identify what didn't work in the past and what did it feel like when it didn't. And these are now you're identifying those negative signals. And what you have to do with those negative signals is you have to spend quite a bit of time thinking, was that the third decision? Was that the second decision? Or was that the first one? Because remember those subtle signals. And the, the thing is like you and I can have a voice. Let's say it's a voice. And for you, that could be signal number one for any negative thing, which is perfect. But for me, let's say that's signal number three, and I'm good to go. So if if I've, if I this is signal number three for me, what happens is I've missed two signals. If I've missed two signals, I've made two bad decisions. Yeah. So those two bad decisions could result in maybe just stubbing my toe on a wall, or it could be headed towards bankruptcy. I don't know. And so this is very important, figuring out what your negative signals are first. Then what you do is you put yourself in an environment where you can Think clearly, cut out the noise, and then listen to the positive signals. And what you do is you start to say, okay, how am I going to solve this problem? These are the steps that I think that are going to work. If it's the right step, it's going to feel like a positive signal, a flow. The dots connecting just feels right. Uh, And now that you've done your work on the negative signals, if you put a step there that's not the right one, there's a negative signal that's going to come and say, ah, ah. I, you I, I, that's not the right step so now you know that in the plan of solving this problem you take that step out because that if you don't you've wasted time you're going down you're already making a bad decision and so your initial n- negative intuitive signals are telling you don't do that yeah. and so once you've got the positive signals so now you've got your inventory signals the very next step and we're talking about uh, about relational intuition is who's going to solve that problem for you. And what's important in this case specifically is you've identified a problem. Who's going to solve this problem for you? So it could be someone in your inner circle. It could be somebody way off, which is a mentor. The The thing that you, and I, and I warn people in the 70 challenge, the one thing that you have to not do is force somebody in there from an emotional perspective. So maybe you want your best friend in there because, he or she is your best friend or maybe you want to you it feels cool to tell people you're in a seven-day challenge and so you ask someone that for their for their advice because so you can tell them that you're in a seven-day challenge it makes you it strokes your ego you get a dopamine that's the wrong reason for doing this your intuition has you have to use your intuition to fill. and this is where your signals come in if you ask somebody think about someone that's going to solve this problem and it's not the right person that negative signal is going to come up listen that's an ego hit That person, that's not going to solve your problem here. And so once you've got the the right people in place, do you need to change an environment? Do you have to shift your environment in any way to make sure that this thing happens? And the last thing is action. And then I measure your intuitive strength at the end of the seven-day challenge. And I've had 54,000 people now through the challenge. 100% of the time, there's been an increase in their intuitive strength in just seven days. And the other thing I have is that I've got two people as that serve as case studies who go through each of these tasks with you to get to what they did. One of them is John Harris, who actually sold his house using the seven-day challenge. The very, very first day, uh, he was about to say yes to someone who, who threw her a real estate card in his face and was saying, at eh, $20,000 under, that's all you're going to get. I know the market, etc. So before the seven-day challenge, he would have been badgered into saying, yeah, 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 okay, okay, okay. Uh, he would get scared. And that was the tactic of this real estate agent. But over the seven days, he knew to trust his intuition. And at the very seventh day, he actually sold his house for $50,000 over uh, asking on a bidding war. That's a $70,000 decision. $10,000 a day is not that bad. Uh, and the other person um, who's a huge fan of what I'm doing is Ashley Michelle. Ashley Michelle. What will my sister, brother, mother, father, uh, uncle, cousin,
1: friend, husband say about what I have to say, how these things impacted? These people, but I help them feel safe so that they can write their story and then later on they can decide do I really want to publish this? Do I want to publish it as a legacy? Do I want to know that I have written it and that's all I need for my own transformational healing? Or do I want to um, self publish this and just give
2: it, give,
1: um, um, give, give copies to my family? You know, I, for myself, I would have loved to have had something like that about my parents. And um, about, I guess it was about uh, quite a few years ago, I created a um, a DVD and I took 468 pictures that I had from, this is, they were all, I I got to keep them. Lucky me. You know, now I don't know what to do with them all. But I I had them put into a DVD with music based around it, uh, you know, music background. And it started with my great grandparents, my great, great grandmother's christening outfit. You know, she was in this picture with the great grandmother and the great grandfather. And then from there, right up until the last kid that got married or whatever it was, but it was an entire family history. And, um, and I passed out copies to everyone who came to this, to our family reunion. I, I knew who was coming and you know, so I, I had all this stuff prepared um, and it was amazing. It, it was absolutely amazing because these, the, all of my relatives, they have their history. That's who they are. That's who we all are, and we are one. You know, we are together. So as much as you and I have our differences, we are the same, and sure. I know that. You know, I know that like I know my own name. And a lot of people understand that, and there are a lot of people that don't because they're not um, going down to the deeper surfaces of the deeper the deeper areas of their lives. They they stop at- it
2: between how do you handle the feelings? And how do you get back in the game, get back on track? Because there's this, let me just exist. Let me just make it through one more day. There were many days where I had to lie in bed and think of a reason to get out of bed before I got out. Because otherwise I wasn't sure I was gonna make it. Yeah. Um, Some other physical manifestations after loss of, of this experience, are um, flagging energy. Your energy goes up and down. You never know how much you're going to have. And practically, that's a huge problem because can you count on your being able to serve a client? Will you have enough energy for that? Yeah. Um, and what do you do? You know. Life has to go on, but some days you can't do certain parts of life. Much harder to reconnect with people, much harder to maintain relationships. Yeah. And and people leave because you're too much and it's going on too long. That's just the way it is. So what I do is I, I work with people, and in this first stage, the first thing to do is when when the, the longing for more gets bigger than the fear. That's the tipping point.